Open up your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, to um, Luke chapter 24. Uh, between uh, Easter and Pentecost, Pentecost will be on Sunday, May the 24th. Um, well, actually, up to, from Easter up to 10 days before that, which is a 40-day period. As a church, we are working through a paperback book called 40 Days with Jesus. And is people enjoying that? Yeah. We're having a great time as a family, aren't we? A wonderful time gathering as a family every day, going through that, really, really enjoying that. Um, and um, what we're doing is, on the Sundays, we're tracking with that. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a, my, a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped... That he was the one to redeem Israel. Yeah, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things had happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening and, and the days now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished in their sight. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. And he's appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Father, thank you for this wonderful story, this, this account, this record of um, the, the resurrection, the appearance of, of your son Jesus. And Lord, we're in your hands now for this next time as we look at this story. I pray that you would do a remarkable thing among us. I, I do ask it, Lord. I, I, you say that your word is living and active, that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And I just pray that, that we would be lovingly pierced today, Lord, that you would keep us from just, just trivialities, Lord, and keep us from, from the wrong road. I pray, get us on the right road, and if we're on the right road, keep us on the right road. And help us, Lord, to come to grips with following you, I pray. Amen. Amen. Right, I want to look today at uh, uh, how Jesus meets us on the journey. Um, the journey of discipleship, we could be more general, the journey of life, and, and what he does to draw us into a true grasp of himself. Now what you'll notice, if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in the Gospels and you read the resurrection appearances, you'll notice that uh, most of the time when Jesus appears, he starts with everyday conversation. Um, there's a, a couple of re- accounts where he says, peace be among you, which is a bit more, you know, a bit more of an entrance. Um, but o- normally it's a more conversational and every time it's conversational, it's a question. Every time he asks them a question, in fact, if you look at this particular story, there are three things he says, all of them finish with questions. Every time. Um, why does he do that? Um, well, you see, uh, Jesus is uh, a master teacher. 
Uh, and so what he does is he asks questions not in order to find out where they're at, but more to, for them to help them find out where they're at. You ever been in a situation with someone who's a good listener, they ask you something, and as you talk, you kind of realise while you're talking what you really think. Have you ever experienced that? You're like, oh, it's such a helpful conversation. I mean, this has been going around my head for days. Now, just actually being able to talk it out, ah, I can actually see what's troubled me now, or, or what I'm really taken up with now. Through the talking, you're helped. You see, Jesus searches the heart, the Bible says. So when he asks questions, he's not thinking, I wonder what's going on. He knows what's going on. But he asks so that as we're talking, we can see where we're really at and see where we've got to go. And then as a master teacher, he, he, he's got us to the place where he can lead us to the good path. So that's what's going on um, there. Now we find that there's four particular things about these disciples. I just quickly mention them that we can see. First, there's a kind of spiritual blindness of some sort that's taken hold to, to some sort of degree. I mean, there are different theories as to why they couldn't recognize Jesus. Um, some would say that, you know, it's because often when Jesus appeared after his resurrection, he looked a little bit different and things like this. So maybe that was going on too. But it also seems that the, the, the three other things that were uh, affecting their condition also uh, work towards the blindness. And the first thing is this, they were sad about Jesus. They weren't just sad, they were sad about Jesus. Um, because Jesus was a joy bringer, Jesus was a healer. Uh, when you were around Jesus, um, really exciting things happened. If you've ever been ill and then got better, you know what I mean. It's a happy time. The pain is gone. If you've known long-term chronic pain, you know what I'm talking about here. Or, or, or if you're in it and you think, God, the thought of being able to fully express myself physically again, the wonder of that. Well, Jesus, we are told Jesus would literally heal masses, like whole villages, whole regions. So you can imagine the joy that was around him. In fact, some of um, other disciples of John the Baptist saw Jesus and the joy and the celebration and the eating and the drinking and, and, and they sent uh, like messengers to say why, why are you eating and drinking or what's with the kind of joy, surely you know, we should be more serious and Jesus replies by saying well it's a bit like when there's a wedding and the groom comes, you know, because uh, in, in, in that part of the world what happened was is the groom would go and find the bride, and well, not find her but go and sort of um, to where she was and they would get married and so it's like oh the wedding's coming, so Jesus is saying it's going to be happy so there's always joy and celebration around him and then suddenly he's gone so there's this sadness. They're sad about Jesus. And, you know, the reality is, I want to be honest, is that, is that for some um, disciples, being sad seems like a bit of a reality. For, for, for numbers of Christians, they do know Jesus, but finding joy in him is not the easiest thing in the world. You just need to acknowledge that. Um, so if you're a sad disciple here today, then there's, there's something here for you. Second thing, because uh, we want to find out what, is, what does Jesus have to say about that. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that. Second thing is, is disappoint, they're disappointed about Jesus. They're not just disappointed, they're disappointed about Jesus. We, you know, they, they say this thing, we had hoped. We had, past tense, we had hoped he was going to be the one to restore Israel. Their, their hopes have been dashed, if you like. They're, the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you hope for something and you think it's going to happen now, you see, when Jesus came into Jerusalem shortly before he was crucified, and they're laying down the palm leaves and they're crying out, Hosanna, which means salvation, they thought it was the moment. They thought their, their, uh, their Messiah was about to take the throne and, and, and exalt Israel above the other nations and deliver them. They thought this was the moment. Within a few days, he's dead. So they're living with this disappointment about Jesus. And the reality is, you said, because, why? Because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. And the hard reality is, is that there are, there are disciples who are disappointed because of Jesus. 
You might have been following him for a long or short, but he didn't do what you thought he would do when you thought he would do it. That's the reality sometimes. What does Jesus have to say about that? And then they're confused about Jesus. There's reports of angels and missing bodies, and, but no one's seen him. But apparently, you know, they, they are very confused about Jesus. I mean, Jesus was mysterious enough before his death. Now he's died, and it's, it's got even worse. No one knows where he is. Apparently, he might, but the angels have said he's risen, but no one's seen him. I mean, if you read the Gospels, it's fair, you know, Jesus, people, some people say things like, yeah, I don't know, you can caricature Jesus. You can say things like, his teaching was so clear. Well, it was probably the most clear and amazing teaching, but at the same time, other bits are utterly mysterious. The disciples are scratching their head. Jesus is getting frustrated with them. I mean, it, it's very real. It's very gritty. It's very human. Um, so he was, a conf- he was a mysterious man. Now it's got to a whole new uh, degree. Uh, and I would also say that being a confused disciple is a reality for some. Where's, where's he gone? <laughs> he felt so close. There was a season where he felt so close. Why is it like this now? And other things like that. And you can look back and you can... It's a mysterious uh, journey. What does Jesus have to say uh, about that? Well, um, what I'm going to do, I'm going I'm to just... Uh, I'm going to zoom back for a moment and I'm going to just talk about the way the Bible, in a very general way, talks about... Uh, Humanity's kind of spiritual, uh, different different states of spiritual condition. And then we try and locate ourselves in there and see what Jesus has to say about that. Does that make sense? Hopefully it will. Um, so Jesus tells a parable about someone who sowed some seed and he said the seed is like the gospel. And, then, and, and, and he compares our heart to fields, to like a, a bit of land. And he says there's kind of base... There's kind of, if you boil it down, there's like four main categories of land that can be compared to our state of heart. The first is rocky, so the seed kind of just sits there. There's nothing for the seed to soak into. It kind of speaks of hardness, and there's, there's no receptivity to the message of Jesus Christ. It's like it bounces off, dunk, 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 and just sits there. And then Jesus says, birds come and snatch it away. That's the first condition. The second condition looks good because it looks like soil, but Jesus says the reality is it's very shallow and it's, it's not deep at all. And right under it, a rock. So it goes in, so everyone's going, this is looking good. And it sprouts up really quickly, so it looks like a response to Jesus, new life gospel. But Jesus goes on to say, as soon as hardship comes or persecution or opposition, it withers away because it has no root in and of itself. So it looked like something, but it's something else. The third condition is soil, but mixed in are loads of weeds. So the seed goes in and starts to grow. But as it's growing, other things, Jesus refers to um, deceitfulness of riches, anxieties, the worries of this life, and desires for other things. They grow up and around the, God's, God, the, the gospel message that's been sown in your heart is growing. That grows up around it and it kind of chokes it. And so it doesn't come to the harvest and the fullness that it's supposed to. And the fourth is Soil. And the seed goes in, and, and the gospel goes in, and then the, the gospel plant grows up in, in, in our hearts, in our lives. And then Jesus says it produces a harvest 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. Incredible. So the idea there is, you know, like in agriculture, things that, are, things that grow have often multiplication of seed within it. One seed was sown, one plant grew, there's loads of fruit in it, and within that fruit, a load of seeds. That's the amazing wonder, miracle of God's creation. In a spiritual sense, when the gospel is sown into your life and it grows, it has the potential in it to produce 30, 60, 100 fold more than what was ever sown in. It's got that built into it, God's purpose being that his, his work in our lives doesn't just stay with us, but that it spills out and causes life 
here, there and everywhere. That's the plan. So we've got these four main um, categories. Then we have the idea of watering, which is quite important in the Bible, that the seed goes in, but once the gospel's gone into your heart, there's a season of watering. And, and what is meant by that is that God brings people along your life, whether they're actually face-to-face or whether it's kind of things you read or things you hear on the radio or TV, but it's good gospel truth. And what it does is it, it waters that seed so that that seed uh, is, is, able to, is able to begin to grow. And, and what we see is that often, on, often it looks like in the early stages nothing much is happening, but below the surface lots going on. Maybe we could just show that image, Matt. Is that okay? Um, so you're very familiar with this idea. Um, you've, got, you've got most of the growth in the early stages goes on underneath, and very often there's, in the earlier stages there's nothing to see at all. You think there's anything happening here, but something is going on. And this is the way that God works. It often begins in very hidden ways, and, uh, and no one else might know about it. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe this is your experience here today. You, you feel something's going on on the inside, but you think, well, I, I'm not, you know, I don't know. There's nothing to really show for it right now, but something's happening. That's how the gospel works. God, although God is the God of all power, the Bible says his normal way of working is very behind the scenes. He says, Jesus says, it's a bit like yeast in a loaf. Just put it in and rub it in. You think, well, well, it's not very dramatic. But then actually that yeast affects the whole thing. And in the end, there's complete transformation of that loaf. It would have been a flatbread. Now it's this big bloomer. I think, why is that? Just the yeast. It affected the whole thing. So the gospel goes in that way and works and works and and works its way into all that we are. So this is the idea then with the watering and the underground growth. And then the growth comes above the surface and we see this whole multiplication. Now listen. And everyone on the planet, biblically speaking, fits between that rock idea and that um, soil and growth and multiplication idea. Everyone is somewhere. It's important that we have a sense of of where we are and what that means. You see... um, these disciples, well, where were they? Well, they were disciples, so the gospel had affected them, Jesus had affected them, and they were, kind of, they were following him. Um, but there was probably, it looks like they were in danger, potentially, of some weeds choking this thing. There's this sadness, this disappointment, this confusion about him, that if it had been allowed to carry on, where would it have taken them? Would have taken them to, to some serious cul-de-sacs, some dead ends, where they're like, oh, what now? And the thing that Jesus had started in their life has got, got stuck. Um, you see, I think primarily they had, they had, well clearly they had cultural expectations of Jesus which he didn't live up to. The Jewish people, they're looking for deliverance for their nation. There's lots of promises in the Old Testament about it, they're looking for that. But they're kind of, you often find with, when you read through the New Testament, a lot of the things the Jews struggled with was that they didn't really grasp God's big purpose. That God's purpose was for the nations. And that, that we definitely had a purpose for them. It wasn't just for them, but it was to draw in those from another flock to become one flock of Jews and Gentiles together. And they were fixated with this idea of Israel. And it wasn't healthy. And constantly you find throughout the New Testament, God is helping them to understand this is about the nations, this is about everyone. But their cultural expectations didn't fit. And I, as I'm preparing this sermon, I, I thought, well, what, what would it be for us? If there were some cultural expectations of Jesus uh, that we got wrong and caused us to stop growing, what would it be? Now, it's not an easy one to answer. Why? Because look around the room, there's a lot of different cultures here. But you're all in London. So because of that, I'm going to take what I think is probably the main way a Londoner could get Jesus wrong and cause him to stop growing. And we'll see where we get with that. Is that cool? Alright, so uh, we're going to bring it up on the thing here. It's like, a, it's like a mind map. I'm not expecting you to be able to read it. I've got it here. I can read it. It's a visual aid. 
It's a visual aid just to help you know what I'm doing with this bit that I can just about read, um, which is here. It's, it's about, it's a, the middle word says world views. It's how you see life. Now, uh, those of you here that describe yourselves as Christians, I, w- I want to challenge you with this. Who, who is your Jesus? Who is going to be this or it's going to be this? I'm going to unpack it in a moment. Is it that or is it that? Because if it's one, if it's that one more than that one, you're going to hit some serious problems in your growth. Um, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not sure you're a Christian, this is really important for you to understand because if you become a Christian, it's really important to start on the right tracks. Okay? So the first one is what I would call this, sovereign self. The second one will be sovereign God. So sovereign self... The basic understanding, and it's, it's an assumption, you probably wouldn't say it, but it's an assumption, is this, is that life, generally speaking, is about me. And uh, how does that work when it comes to God? Well, here, here's the way you think about God, and this, if, you, if you've got this um, disease. Uh, sorry, I just said the disease. Um, uh, it's a spiritual thing. Um, it's things like this. God has made promises to me and has plans for me. God loves me. God wants to bless me. None of those things are wrong. None of those, all of those things are actually true. But if that's the only way you think about God, most likely you are in this condition. If that's primarily the way you think about God, God's made promises to me and has plans for me and loves me and wants to bless me, compared to God has a cosmic plan and makes promises to his people of which I am privileged to be a part See the difference? God, God has made promises to me and has got plans for me. God has got a cosmic plan and makes promises to his people of which I am privileged to be a part. Well, God loves me compared to he is the God of perfect love, eternally complete in and of himself, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And he is so full of this love that he has reached even me. Or, God wants to bless me compared to, he is so full of life and joy and invites all who are willing to leave their own self-made thrones and way too high opinion of themselves to live under his mercy and grace and they will enjoy his blessing. Can you see the difference? Let's take it on another level. How, do, how, would, it approach your, uh, how would it affect your um, approach to your partner? If you have a partner or a spouse or you like a partner or a spouse, how would it approach that? Well, sovereign self says this, this is God's partner for me. Compared to, for the particular race God has marked out for my life, there will be more fruit for his glory if I were with someone else, rather than running it in an unmarried way. Or, um, this is God's partner for me, rather than, rather than not so much, ah, I am God's partner for them. I'm thinking about how this relationship primarily helps me. God says, in order for this relationship to be a resurrection relationship, i.e. full of Jesus' new life, it will involve a cross. There will be a lot of dying to self. Or, sovereign self says, this relationship will just work, and if it doesn't, then it wasn't right, and it's okay to end it. Sovereign God says, I will be facing the challenge as either as a husband laying down my life for this person sacrificially and daily, or as a wife giving this person radical submission daily and sacrificially as a picture of the gospel. It's completely different. Or what about when it comes to job? Sovereign self says, God's plan for my life. Sovereign God says, this is the best place for me to be for this season of life. This is hallowed ground. This is the main arena where I will express my worship of and love for Jesus. 
Sovereign self says, my destiny. Sovereign God says, God has enabled me to earn money or train to earn money so I can invest my resources into the kingdom of heaven, bless the poor and take responsibility for myself. What about church? Sovereign self says, friends for me. My style of music. As convenient as possible. Sovereign God says, a place of meaningful Christian fellowship where I can play my part in the building up of the body of Christ. Sovereign God says, of necessity there must be elements that aren't easy in order for me to grow into maturity. Sovereign God says about church, sacrifice and inconvenience are to be embraced and not avoided. Or Bible, what about Bible? Sovereign self says, dwell on the bits I feel comfortable with, ignore and reject the bits I don't. Sovereign God says, it's all inspired by God. This book will challenge every preconceived notion I have about everything. I am to think carefully about what I read, but not in order to avoid the difficult bits, but to make sure I'm understanding it properly. This book contains the kind of truth that will renew my mind and therefore transform who I am. This is what I need. We're constantly breathing in the air of sovereign self. We're constantly being told this is appropriate, this is how to live, this is the way to fulfilment. Jesus offers us a very different way. It's a starkly different way. Whoever wants to follow me, pick up your cross daily and deny yourself. Whoever wants to find themselves, this is amazing. If you want to find yourself, if you want to find your life, your soul, then lose your life and your soul and you'll find it. Everyone who tries to save their life or their soul will lose it. If you spend your life trying to find yourself, Jesus says you will not find yourself. You want to find yourself? Look for me. Jesus knows who you are. The Bible says only Jesus knows who you are. He made you. He knows who you really are. And as you dare to trust him for that, he will make you who you were made to be. And it will be incredible. And it will be glorious. And it will be way more than you could have ever cobbled together yourself. It's radical. It's radical. But it's true. It's a starkly different gospel. It's not just kind of the way of the world, but with some Christian sounding phrases thrown in. It's totally different. It's totally different. And so, you see, it's so important that, that, that we don't develop our own cultural expectation of Jesus that will lead to us being sad, disappointed and confused about him. Because I tell you, if you have that mentality of, well, I, if, if there's an underlying mentality of, I think Jesus really is going to just help me to fulfill all the things I want to fulfill in life. If that is really your baseline, though he, loves, he, he, does, he does love to put dreams into our heart and fulfill them. Don't hear what I'm not saying. He loves to do that. But if your baseline is really it's Jesus serving your purpose, you will be disappointed lots of times. And in the end you'll get fed up with him because he will not play to your tune. He's the Lord of the dance. I'm going to dance to his tune. And then we realize, ah, this is the tune of creation. This is what I was made for. He's the conductor. I play my part. And I find myself playing in this beautiful orchestra. But we look to him. It's very, very different. Now, culture, culture will always play a part in our lives. And that's a, God, that's a beautiful thing. So it's not about getting rid of culture. Not at all. There are wonderful things about the culture we're in. But that, I think, is a potentially poisonous bit that we need to really be um, on guard Four. How does Jesus help these people? It's very quick. It won't take a long time. How does he help them? Number one, he speaks to them straightforwardly. He says, you foolish ones, you're slow of heart to believe. Jesus can be very confrontational. And that's all right. We just need to, why do we need to hear that? Because we're in, a, we're in a culture that's not very confrontational. And so you can feel like someone's having a go at you. If someone's very speaks straight to you, Jesus can speak very straight to the disciples at times. Which means if you're a disciple, he'll speak straight to you at times. It's because he loves you. 
and he wants to help you out from that place of pride where you think you know it all and just 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 speak and it's he's just saying this is how this thing works i'm the lord i I do know and so there's a there's a humility of saying okay i'm gonna listen to you and not be offended by the fact that he's straight talking Um, we need to stop assuming we know it all we need to say, oh Lord, I want to learn. I want to dig in. I want to study. Teach me, Lord. Um, if you, pride it really strangles spiritual growth. Do you know that? It really does. It, and all of us battle with it so much. All of us. We, we just, you know, when you live in a I mean, humanity struggles with it per se. When you live in a country as rich as ours, you will be so proud without even realising. Because it's just what happens in an environment like ours. We just think everything's at our fingertips. And then when something doesn't just happen, we really struggle because it's the environment just is conducive to pride. So we're very blessed that in such a rich nation. But there's vulnerabilities there. So Jesus will speak straightforwardly to us. And occasionally he might say, you're being foolish and you're being really slow of heart to believe and you think it's clever. <laughs> Be like children. Trust me. Secondly, he takes them through a Bible study. He just takes us through the Bible, right? It's not a dry and academic exercise. They said, our hearts burned. Oh, do you remember what it was like when he was talking? We were hanging on his every word. Um, Jesus wants to teach our hearts to burn uh, by, by, through his Holy Spirit teaching us the Bible. Um, it must be Jesus' approach to scripture that shapes ours. Some of the things Jesus said about scripture, he said, he said the scripture can't be broken. He said, this has happened in order to fulfill what's been, all these things have happened in order to fulfill what's been written. Jesus says, haven't you not read, refers to the Bible and then teaches. Jesus was absolutely confident in, in the scriptures. And um, if he's our Lord, then, then we need to be able to say, okay, I'm going I'm to have the same view. I'm not going to spend my whole time scrutinizing it. I want to think about it and study it properly and use my mind. Absolutely. But my heart, I want to be submitted to the word of God. And he, so we, we honour the, honor the Bible. And I love this, uh, this last bit here. He, he, they only come to that final moment of, ah, when they're around the dinner table. That's the moment. You think, ah, it's Jesus. Now why? Maybe Jesus had a certain way of breaking the bread that was very distinctive. Maybe they thought, it was just like that when he fed the 5,000, or it was just like that at the Last Supper, or, yeah, who knows what. But maybe he had a certain way of doing it, I don't know. But we're not told. But what we do know is, is that there's this very kind of communal family feel. Jesus breaks the bread, and it's like, boom, revelation comes. It's him. And I think there's a lovely point here that Jesus is comfortable to be in our most natural settings with us as long as we are there in his name. Jesus, Jesus is humble and lowly. He, he, he's not looking for impressive places or impressive people. But he, I tell you what he's looking for are people that will gather in his name. Are people that will say, yeah, Jesus, we want you. Uh, an earnestness of heart. The king of glory will manifest his presence in a setting like that. No matter how good or bad the food is. No matter how snazzy or not so the surroundings are, if people gather in his name to meet with him, I tell you, he'll be there and he'll reveal himself. Because that's what he's like. Don't you love him? (laughs) He's just what he's like. He's absolutely unlike anybody else. So a hunger, and I will say this, you know, maybe someone said, well, there's something about church plants, but when we started, there was just this hunger. And I do want to urge us as a church not to lose that. Not to lose a hunger for his presence. Not to lose a hunger to gather, a hunger to pray. Uh, there is something that can happen spiritually where you just kind of, I don't know what it, how to describe it. It's kind of like, you, I guess you become um, complacent or something like that. And your hunger for Jesus isn't what it was. And we need God to help us with that. Individually, corporately. 
So that when we gather Tuesday mornings to pray, when we gather here Sundays, when we gather in our gospel communities, when we gather for the half nights of prayer and now when we gather for family meetings, we're gathering in his name. We're, we're looking for him. We're desiring him. That, I really do think that's the key to knowing his presence, desire for him. Not anything, any, all the other things are negotiable. The non-negotiable is we want him. He'll respond to that. And then finally, to answer the question, why did he disappear as soon as he's recognised? You mean, oh Jesus, you know, this, we've just realised it's you and you're gone. Um, I think it's pretty clear that um, he'd, come, he'd come in that moment to do what he came to do. All of his resurrection appearances, he comes for a purpose. He comes to do something and he, he accomplished it there. He really wanted to bring them out of their apathy, not by... Ta-da! As soon as it's the da-da moment, he's gone. He wants to bring that by, by walking them through, by taking them through the scriptures, by just gathering around a meal with them, by saying, this is, this is, this is what I come to do with you. And then, and then they, they see him, and then it's like, job done uh, for now. So and Jesus doesn't want them to, get, to relate to him like they used to. It's a new thing now. He's going to be back with the Father soon, and the Holy Spirit is going to come. Um, this is just a season where special visits are made for particular purposes. So, amen? All of us have an approach to life spiritually, a way of thinking, a way of processing things, a way of understanding spiritual reality, a way of understanding all these things, whatever phrases we use. And um, at the end of the day, we, we, we embrace one, we, 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 we receive one. Um, I do believe that for those of us here today who say we're Christians, we say we want to be under the scripture. We want to, that there's this stuff on this sovereign self and sovereign God thing is a big deal. And it's something, it's really important that we allow, that we allow God in, into our heart, into our minds to help us with that. That we make sure that we are not uh, becoming simply, uh, you know, just products of our ever so selfish culture. I mean, really poisonously selfish culture. Families, gener- generation societies are dying because of this really, really nasty, um, um, con- absolute abs- absorption with self. Uh, and we do need God to help us. And Lord, I do pray. I do pray for like a bit of a, a spiritual hose down, Lord. I pray as we take bread and wine, as we gather, like with those disciples in your presence, to, and we break bread in your presence. I pray for some aha moments. I pray, Lord, that by your spirit you would just bring us, bring us out of sadness. If there's any sadness, disappointment or confusion that is actually rooted in selfishness, I pray you'd bring us out of that today. Uh, Lord, just help us walk out of that. Leave it, leave it at the cross, Lord, and really embrace, Lord, the, 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 the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and we're about you. I pray you'd help us with that, I ask. And, uh, and, and, and just for those, you know, there's, 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 always, there's this huge moment in everyone's life, wherever you're at on that process of rock, saw, and all of that, where, where, where this moment of saying, Jesus, I, I want to receive this gospel in my heart. Uh, and uh, and it, looks, it probably looks a little bit different for every person, but it's the same thing when, it's the, per- when, when the person says yes to Jesus. Uh, not to their own invention of Jesus, but to the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of Nazareth, who is revealed in the Bible. When you say yes to him, something begins that can't be stopped. Something begins that will grow, if allowed, into an amazing, uh, fruitful, multiplying harvest. And I do want to just urge and really plead with anyone here who, who doesn't, has never said yes to Jesus of Nazareth. You've never said yes to the, the resurrected Lord and King of the universe. You've never said yes to this, this, this carpenter from Nazareth who, who is the Son of God, who has been raised to life and is now seated at the Father's right hand and, and will rule the nations. If you've never said yes to him, um, then it's an absolute... Absolute imperative. It's an absolute must 
that you say yes and bow the knee so you can be forgiven for your sins and so that you can know new life in him. Uh, and it's, in a, it's a, you wait, you watch, as you do that, watch what he does. He will come and he will cleanse your conscience by his blood. He will come and he will live in you by his spirit and you will know new life in God. And it's the most incredible thing. Uh, and I, I just want to ensure you, assure you of that. The Bible says, whoever calls on his name will be rescued. And so as we take bread and wine and we sing, call on his name from an earnest heart, that because of the cross you will be heard and the way has been made and you will be received into the presence of God. So Lord, we just bless you. We draw near to you. We pray for your power to be swirling among us as we meet and pray and sing, as we gather around the bread and wine. I pray your power, Spirit of God, would swirl among us. And I pray for those, Lord, who have known the experience of other spirits. I pray they would know the super power and grace of the Holy Spirit in this place. And it would be unlike anything else they've ever experienced before, Lord, because we know that the Holy Spirit supersedes all other spirits. So we we pray in the name of Jesus for the power of the Holy Spirit to grip our hearts and to renew our minds and to help us to leave things behind that have kept us in places where we ought not to be. Kept us stunted, confused, sad, disappointed, confused. Lord, we pray, Spirit of God, work in power among us, I pray. Amen.